Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We begin by acknowledging the Gabi Gabi people, the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast episode is being recorded today and pay respects to their elders, past and present, and to their parents with children with disabilities. This podcast contains truth, laughter, and the occasional F-word, so it's not really suitable for children. Well, you probably won't hear quite so much swearing among the beans, you know. Well, yeah. Not suitable for children. Sometimes you just have to get your shits out. Shit, 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 shit. That's right, this is a language warning. Oh, shit. Hello, peas and beans. Gary Bean here, welcoming you to this episode of The Four Bean Mix, a two peas in a podcast production. In this episode, specially set aside for Father's Day, Kirk and Daniel and Dino and I answered some of your questions and we discussed something about our dads and uh, how our relationship with our fathers has related to and impacted upon our role as dads, especially as beans ourselves. Please keep sending in those questions and comments. We love to hear from you and we will do our very best as the non-experts that we are uh, to chat about anything you would like to hear us talk about. So send us an email or a speak pipe or get in touch through the Hangout on Facebook. We would really love to hear from you. It's been fantastic to hear some of the uh, responses and the questions that we've had and uh, I, I would just hope that our chatting together about those things will be of some use to you, whether you're a bean or a pea, professional, you know, peacher, whoever you might be. Uh, we would love to hear from you and talk about the things that we know best, which is our lives and our experiences together. So this is the Father's Day uh, for Bean Mix. Happy Dad's Day to all the beans out there. Hopefully this will be a day where... You can reflect upon your role as a dad and find some moments of love and appreciation. And we look forward to you listening to this as we listen to you in your comments as they come. This is The Four Bean Mix. So let's get right into it with the Four Bean Mix Father's Day episode. Uh, I'm Gary, joined in the virtual studio by Daniel, all the way from just outside Edinburgh, Scotland. We have uh, Kirk in New South Wales. We have Dino in Victoria, and I'm in Queensland. And we're glad you're there listening to us. We've had some great feedback, guys. Thank you so much for letting us know what you think. Thank you so much for making suggestions and asking questions. We really appreciate the fact that 
we're not just talking to ourselves here. Um, as much as we like each other, we actually like to think that there might be people listening, and we know you are. So thanks again for that. We've got a couple of questions to start off with, and then we thought we would just talk, talk a little bit about dadness because this is focusing in on Father's Day, and uh, we're going to talk about our dads, and we're going to talk about ourselves as dads, and we're just going to see where that goes. So what we're going to do is start with a speak pipe. So now this one comes from our, our darling Mandy P., Kate and Mandy, who have given us this platform and let us get started together in this uh, this whole discussion with dads and and men and beans, as they call us. And she has sent sent in this uh, excellent little speak pipe. Now, the, the opening bit is a little bit embarrassing, so just ignore the opening, you know, 20 seconds or so. She she can't help herself. She had to say a few things about me, but, you know, <laughs> that's good on you, Mandy. Thank you so much. But these blokes aren't going to comment on that bit. But they are going to comment on the question you asked. So here we go with Mandy's speak pipe. Hi, Gary and Dino and Kurt. And Daniel, I just want to say a huge thank you um, for your four Bean Mix episode, for your individual episodes. Kate and I are just so thrilled that you are a part of this community and you're so skillfully cared for with Gary. Isn't he awesome? I'm so proud of you, Gary, and you are looking after these men so kindly oh, and what a better man for this journey, oh, 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 and I'm so, you put me I'm in so it proud of you. So um, keep up the great work. I loved your Four Being Mixed episode. I loved hearing your reflections. I laughed. I had some moments of just thinking about what life is like for you guys. I also had a terrible time when we had a puppy. <laughs> Out of control, just like my family. <laughs> so my question, okay, hear me out on this one. This is generic. For example, not drawing from life experience, three little girls under five, two with cerebral palsy, one with an intellectual disability, a little toddler, it's Christmas Eve. We're not hosting the next day, Christmas Day. We're going out. There's a lot of things to be done. There is presents to be wrapped. There is food to be made. There is undies to be picked up off the floor. And our mister was out weeding in the backyard. And I <laughs> I want to know, because this is what we talk about behind your back, what is with the random useless tasks on a very important occasion? Because this is what we call them. And we screenshot them, we take photos, and we send them to each other. And we say, look at this random useless task. He's cleaning the garage floor. We've got 50 people coming for a first birthday. Okay, what is <laughs> what is he doing? <laughs> Do you get the picture? So I want to know, what is going through your mind? Is it overwhelmed when you can walk through the house and, and stand over 25 pairs of undies and walk over the toys see all the chaos that's happening in the house and then go and do some task outside in the backyard, which makes no difference to the family. Anyway, not speaking from personal experience. <laughs> I want to know, why do you do the random users tasks? And is it more for our families? Is it more for beans? Because the overwhelm is greater, I suspect. So anyway, answer me that. Keep up the great work. Hopefully I can meet you all one day and Kate and I can see you. Um, we're super proud of you all. Thank you. Thank you, Where Kate. Do you, uh, where do you go from there? 
Well, I think that's the end of our episode tonight. And, uh, <laughs> is it really bad? Is it really bad that during that time when when um, we're talking about useless tasks, that um, I kept thinking about we really need to come up with a jingle for the forums? It's like, so was I? <laughs> is that exactly? <laughs> well. Uh, that so you know what? Use of our time, there, yes. got a point. There's a point to this. <laughs> She's got a point. <laughs> oh man, what do we, what do we, what do we say to that, guys? Yeah, I, think, I mean, I, yeah, go on, Daniel. Well, um, okay. So there's there's a couple of things. I just I, I noticed that in, in the first uh, example that Mandy gave, she made a point of saying, we're not hosting tomorrow, we're going out, um, and there's a lot There's a lot of work to be done. But then in the, in the second example, she said, well, there's a first birthday party the next day and it sounds like people are coming around. So I actually think those are two really different different scenarios. Um, <laughs> yeah, I can't, I can't explain the first one. Like if you, if you are going out, I, I don't know. I, I personally feel a lot of time pressure when, they, when we have to go out and and get things ready, and I, I don't know if it's something I could speak to. But the second one I find, like, I do find um, really interesting, like, the the pressure that, well, I am talking about the pressure, right? So I guess if the question is do, do guys feel an overwhelm, then, then the answer is probably yes already because I'm using that mm-hmm. word. Um, but when it's... Uh, that when it, when the scenario is that is that there's something happening at the house and things are not ready and so on and so forth um i think uh, uh yes there is a pressure and i and i i i want to be very diplomatic i want to say that there's like probably as what mandy's getting at there is a difference between the way we would handle it and maybe the way women would handle it and i i'm just aware that when that when we when you know our wives when women are in this this culture the way that they that the way that 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 it gets talked about um about how you handle things when when there's pressure and there's there's other people involved i think is really different from the way we talk about it and i there's a lot of like rhetoric about you know you've got this you you know you can handle it you're bossing it you're you know you're on top of it all and Often when I hear that through podcasts and other places, I feel like um, like I, I want to just say give yourselves a break basically um, it's not it's not it's not particularly urgent to you know to sort of demonstrate that you're on top of it all or to feel like other people who are coming around and maybe expecting you to show that you are in command and in control because I think, and I think there's someone, you know, who goes around to other people's houses who are in similar situations. Like if anyone is going to give another person a break on the state of their house before an event, it's going to be like you're going to give a break to the person who's got three kids with extra needs and, you know, yeah. and it's a, a massive occasion. Like I think I think maybe the the culture that, that women, you know, are talking to, puts a bit more pressure on them to perform at a really high level that is maybe, I think, uh, sort of reaching towards unrealistic expectations. And as a man, when you're brought into that scenario, you kind of feel that additional pressure of, of your wife or your partner's expectations, you know, in addition to just the fact that the event is happening and it already has its own pressure. And I just think, yeah, I, I think 
we could all cut each other a bit of slack and understand that our in our situations other people are going to cut us a bit of slack as well right and i think yeah that i think we should if we if we have that attitude i don't know i don't know if it explains men's bizarre behavior but but certainly mm. <laughs> she's right to say that when there's pressure you kind of opt out and go and do other things but i think we could all like stand to understand that the pressure is maybe us on ourselves rather than other people coming around and having expectations yeah i think that's a that's a really valid point daniel regarding you know the, the pressure side of it and i think that's something i would do to myself if i've got people coming over you know i've got people for a barbecue or or, or whatever that i look around and i think oh, i've got I've got weeds over there and I want to, I really want to get them out before people come over. So I know that, you know, Tara might be in the kitchen doing things and trying to get the girls dressed, but all I can focus on is, hey, I've got pride in my garden. I don't want my friends and all that people to see those weeds. So that's that's what I'm prioritising right there. And uh, it's probably going to piss... It's probably going to piss my wife off, but I know I'm going to feel really good when my friends are over because that's not all I'm focused on. Um, so I think there's that. And, and, I, and, I, and uh, it's, it's tragic or it's unfortunate that Mandy gave... The example of um, cleaning the garage floor because I, I uh, one of the things I make sure I do before people come over is I, I actually vacuum the garage floor because we have those rubber gym have those rubber gym mats down so I can actually use the hand stick and vacuum it. Um, but look, all in all, in all um, chances, the people coming over are going to go through the front door, not through the garage anyway. Um, so I guarantee that would be something that Tara would see me do and think, what the fuck is he doing that for? That is, but again, I take I take pride in my man space, my garage, and I want to make sure that if my boys go in there or if people come through there, that um, that floor's nice and clean and that's the Exactly. So, and and you're know. so spot on about pride in, you know, I, there are areas of the house where I feel like it's my domain and, you know, in the lawn, you know, in the garden and, the, you know, getting it done is, is definitely one of them. So, um you know, I, I want to make sure that that's looking good, especially if there are people coming over. And, you know, that's my, you know, I feel like especially the garden, you know, the lawn, you know, when I'm on the lawnmower and I'm out the front and I'm waving to the the neighbours across the road, you know, I'm feeling like I'm a man. I feel good and good, mm-hmm. feeling yep. good about myself. So, uh, you yep. know, I, I, it's my good space. So it's like... Yeah. <laughs> It's also, I think it comes down to control too, not not control being a control freak as such, but more that, you know, there's so many things that go on in, in our additional needs lives and dynamics that one thing I can control and I can I know that I can rule and, and make, feel the pride and, and feel really good about and also relieve um, the weight or pressures is my lawn. You know, I like that to look neat and mouse. I like people to drive past my house and think that he's got the best lawn in, in, in the street. Um, but it's it's one of those things that I've noticed there's a correlation between if the yard and the lawn and everything gets on top of me, then I feel like everything else is getting on top of me. When I've got it um, ship shape, then I feel like I'm in control of things, and that that sort of compound style there is my life too. So I think that's something that uh, look stereotypically, you know, most women probably wouldn't understand. But when uh, when you know when there's a couple of weeks of shit weather in summer and the lawn grows three times higher than it needs to be, and and it all starts to get on top of you. I think it's um it, it's almost a metaphor for other things in, in personally in my life, and then I think fuck now that's that's starting to piss me off now and this and look at my grass and you know and, and Tara's actually said to me a few times you know she really likes that um that I like that I keep the lawn looking nice and she can tell that it, it actually when I'm on top of it it, it sort of it, re- it relieves some stress in other areas yeah. too. So. And the, the other <laughs> thing is, and the other thing is, I I also know that 
I only have one small window every weekend to potentially do some tasks that if I don't do yeah. these tasks now, uh, I know that there's, it's not going to happen because, you know, weekends and then come work and, and that's another week. And like you said, especially with, I know we keep referring to lawns, but, you know, if I leave that for another week, it's going to look shit house, you know, for another week. So I know I've got to grab my opportunity when I can. So, you know, is this all this like still true if you were using like the Christmas Eve example? Like if you guys are heading off somewhere, uh, for an event like that, like I don't know, or have you done something, something stupid, something that others would see as ridiculous, like in a moment like that? I don't, I don't, I can't think of anything where I've done something <laughs> which is totally pointless. Although you know, I'm sure, I'm sure my wife and probably everyone's wife listening would would be able to correct their husbands when they say they don't do those things. Um, it's probably something that you know we do subconsciously without even, even put, they're giving any thought to it. But look, I think most wives, if they're under a bit of stress and they're trying to get everything ready and go out and, uh, and the husband does something totally pointless, they're probably going to uh, chip them for it. So. That's it. I, I'm kind of wondering what's going on if mum is taking photos of dad doing these activities to share and, you know, see what he did today, see what's going on today. I I think what that speaks to is something that might be a bit deeper, that that maybe that couple are not in a place where they're actually communicating enough to each other to say, listen, mate, what do you, can you please leave the weeds just for now and come in and help me with the undies or something and then go back to the weeds? You know, I appreciate what you're doing out there, but so... So it's, it says to me that, um, that – and this is universal in relationships, isn't it? The fact that sometimes we'll both get on each other's nerves. I think Mandy's point about this being more so or more pronounced when there are additional needs and disability is certainly true. The pressure's really on, isn't it, sometimes? But I, I'm just wondering if, if I was that bad and I, was do, I thought I was doing so, – well, okay, there's two things. I either might think I'm doing something useful – in which case I need to just be pointed out gently, uh, but but it would really help more if you did this instead right now. Or I might be avoiding the reality of the situation and just hiding out, weeding the garden and not paying attention to what really needs to be done. If that's the case, that's a different matter. That's that's me being needing to be called out rather than just called in, you know. I don't mm-hmm. know. Is the, the sort of the way that... Mandy worded that question. It was, it was sort to me the way I interpreted it was, it was a bit tongue in cheek. It's sort of like she'd message her friends to go, look what this dickhead's doing again, but not, not in a way that go, you know, my husband's hopeless. What a shit dad. What the hell's going on with our yeah, relationship? It yeah. sounded more like she's messaging my best friend going, oh, look at such and such. <laughs> All this shit's going inside. He thinks, buddy, you've got to pull a few weeds out. He's the most important thing. So <laughs> I feel like the, the question came from a place of, of, of lightheartedness and joking. Okay. Uh, but, you know, I'm sure that a, a bit of uh, lighthearted communication would probably help the, the guy understand that, you know, if I was really going to make the most of this time, I could probably help do things inside, which would um, take a bit of stress off my partner at this moment. Yeah. And yeah, I think... Um, no, go on. Go I was just going to say, is, uh, is it... The uh, the opportunity of taking photos of a useless dad's also uh, a time wasting exercise as well. I think absolutely. Where do you get I time mean, to I, take photos? 
<laughs> well, I mean, imagine, imagine if, and look, this is not, you know, I don't want to get too gender, gender based here, but imagine if we uh, could get controversial, but if we started snuffing photos of our partners doing that in reverse and flicking them out to our mates, going, oh, look what she's bloody doing again. Uh, look, I don't know whether the joke would be taken as well as, as it would from the other way around, but it's funny. There's one thing that I, that I do every time without fail when, we, when I, we're having people over. And as I try and get as much done as I can, particularly outside and things, or help inside if I can, and then if I know they're coming at 2 o'clock, at 2 minutes to 2, I'll jump in the shower. Every time we have people over, they arrive and I'm in the shower. And, look, that's probably just poor time management. And I notice, and it stresses me out, but to, to, to Tara's credit, she doesn't actually get the shit to do much with it. But, yeah, look, I've definitely got to get better at that. I, I just think, like, uh, actually, uh, I'm putting myself, you know, in the shoes of someone else. I, to my knowledge, have not had a photo taken of me doing something stupid, but I cannot imagine <laughs> that I would react very charitably if I came across one. And I think, like, in this in this particular circumstance, to get back to what you were saying, Gary, about, like, communication, like, why would why would a guy be doing something like this? Like, either he's genuinely unaware of, like, genuinely just not just not aware of what's going on or he's feeling the pressure and it's an avoidance kind of strategy or he's an asshole and he's trying to be an asshole by foisting everything off onto his wife and i feel like if you're taking a photo of someone you're kind of going towards that third option like that's maybe your assumption and it's not i don't know i feel like you wouldn't be you, you're maybe not treating him like in good faith, like that there might actually be like a genuine thing beyond his control or beyond his awareness that is, that is doing this. So I think you do need like the gentle, the gentle prod and the kind of coming together in agreement on what the priorities are before, <laughs> I don't know, before joking about it behind his back, actually. No, I, I don't think I would, I would appreciate that very much if I was in a, in a state where I'm just not aware of something or I'm, Overwhelmed. And surely that comes down to communication as well between us and our wives as well and, you know, pulling us in and saying, you know, hey, you know, there's a lot to do inside as well, you know, why don't we tackle this this morning, you know, in a diplomatic way and um, I'm sure, you know, I'm always open to listening and um, and to compromise, well, not so much compromising, but always uh, there to, to help out. So, you know, I'll, I'll never shy away from a task on hand, at hand, you know, but, you know, you know, perhaps I have looked at it the wrong way and, and have focused on the wrong area, but, you know, I'm always willing to, to do what needs mm. to be done if we talk about it openly, I suppose. Well, and I, and I think that comes down to common sense. And, look, I, I'm happy to admit that I, I think, particularly in our relationship, but I think most more so women over men, they probably have more common sense than what men do in, mo in most situations at most times. So... <laughs> I think it, it, it's probably that, uh, more that hopefully more so than the serious relationship issues. Um, but um, yeah, look, I think obviously communication is paramount. Great communication between between couples or in relationships that would help would help solve all that. Once again, I love the fact that we're all coming at this from our own perspective, which is actually our fallback position. None of us are claiming to be experts on marriage, you know, counselling. But uh, it, it, quite apart from that. Each one of us has had a different uh, reaction to that, and I think I love that. You know, I love the fact that we're all pulling something different out of our own experience there. Can we move on, guys, because we really uh, – that was great. That was fantastic. And just and just keep in mind we'll be finishing up with a um, – I heard someone say, so keep keep that in mind as you go. This is a question. Are, are you okay if we move on? Is that all right? Or 
Yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Okay. Um, question came into the uh, in, in by email, and there's no name on this one. This one was another anonymous. Hi, Beans. I love getting the dad's perspective on P parenting. I would love to get your view on managing differences of opinion between yourself and your partner on the way best to support your pea shoot. Maybe things like letting them take risks, forcing them outside their comfort zone, special school, etc. My husband and I are on opposite pages and at different stages of acceptance when it comes to our pea shoot. Well, that's probably not surprising. It's probably not uncommon. We had disagreed about assessments, diagnoses and therapies, and now we cannot agree on schooling. He thinks he's right, and I think I'm right. Now, there's the sentence. I'm our pea shoot's primary carer and do the vast majority of therapies and learning about her condition, so I believe that I know what's best. I would love any advice or hear about what it's like not being the primary carer and if your opinions or feelings are dismissed because of it. Yeah, so oh, look, I'm happy if, if you guys are happy for me to jump in on this one first, but that's, uh, that question really resonated with me. Um, and, and look, and I guess to answer the question up front is um, I've let it, Tara make lead all those decisions. Um, we've had a lot of communication on it, but, you know, the first, I haven't been shy to say, you know, the first five years of, of my daughter's life, I, I definitely didn't handle it right. And coming down to the, my mental health um so diagnosis around depression and things, that first five years, I was more than happy to let Tara take the lead with all that and whatever she felt was the best, then I'll, I'll let her sort of make that decision. So I think that in her role there, she was the primary carer and she did all the, all the therapy. And from where I knew where my head was at, she was going to make much better informed decisions than I could. So, um, look, I, I think that she was the best suited if I was, I was going to be the best parent I can be for her let her make those decisions or at least give me the reasons why she thought her way around that was the best way to go and look I I, I don't regret that at all I think it, all those decisions she made were right um, I think if you're the primary carer and you do all the therapies then you don't have more of a say but I think the amount of information and education you've gathered over those years should pull more sway in in making these big decisions mm. Yeah, and you're right, and because I know, I think we even spoke about it last time, it's even like at doctor's appointments and things like that where, you know, quite often you sort of sit back um, and my partner Claire would do a lot of the talking in those sort of situations and um, and it's not because of, it's a difference of opinion, it's 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 primarily because, you know, that, that Claire has been the, the major sort of carer um, yeah. for, for the, you know, most of the hours of the day when, you know, when I'm struggling with work life. So um, it's tough. But, yeah, we definitely have a difference of opinion, though, I know, especially with risk-taking and things like that. And I do think, you know, we do quite often butt heads because, um, you know, I, you know, especially with Lexi, she has a – because she uh, she's quadriplegic cerebral palsy. She has a, an electric chair, but she uses her head switching um, to, to be able to – uh, navigate the chair which is amazing technology but you know I love letting her run free I love getting her out in the open road and you know we're down the middle of the street and we're putting it in fast mode and she's gunning it down the street and I can just I just see Claire in the background she's just like freaking out but it's oh, like yeah. you know but there's a part of me that just wants 
wants her, wants to let Lexi live a little bit or whatever. And there's little things like that that I just do. So, you know, we do come, we, we butt heads on that sort of thing. So I completely get it as well. And it's, you know, but I don't know what to do. You know, it's, it's, it's a part of me that I, I want to keep doing as well. So um, it's, it's got to be, yeah, it's got to be a lot where we're always going to have to butt heads, unfortunately, I think as well. Um, I think I, I I have to come to this question from a slightly different angle, partly because I don't think Marnie and I ever really were divergent on the big, the really big issues, and maybe because Ivy's Ivy's treatments were and, and diagnosis were so specific and so narrow that there there wasn't a lot of wiggle room there anyway. But mm. um, the reason I have to come to it from a different angle is because I am the primary yeah. carer at the moment. Yeah, me too. Um, yep. Yep. Yeah, and uh, I. Wow, I, I really feel uh, I really feel it when the when the the person writing the question says, you know, I'm the primary carer and my husband or my partner is kind of lagging behind and or, or you know we're at different working at different paces and and I feel like I I know what's best um, and I I I feel like I'm, I I feel like I I kind of want to push a little bit back on that because I, this is me speaking as a primary carer. Like one thing I notice in myself, my own kind of flaws really is that because I'm doing this for 10, 11, 12 hours a day, every day at a stretch, it, it, I feel a great urgency for things to move along quickly at my pace because I'm, I've got so much more time and like put in, put into the job and I, and I want, you know, any problems to be addressed, like really in a, in a way that suits me in a timely fashion. And I'm aware sometimes that my pace is not the pace of anyone else. You know, that because I'm the primary carer with all those hours, that kind of shapes the pace that I that I would like and expect and the world doesn't match up with that. And that's the case sometimes for Marnie, my wife. It's the case for other people. It's the case for professionals. You know, sometimes others are often others are just a bit more hands off. Let's give it a bit more time. And I'm sitting there going, but I I see this. I I know what the effects of this are and we need to move now. And I'm not saying I'm wrong in that. And I'm not saying that the the person who wrote the the question would be wrong in, in that at all. Um, just that that you know the pressures of being the primary carer can can give you your own pace and your own expectations that other people just they don't because they don't have that pressure they're not moving at that pace and they they kind of need to come to it in their own time. So I think without knowing what the issues are, um, I think you just have to go into it with an awareness that that even though you may be best placed to know the needs, you also are operating on a different level that, that, that you need to be aware of, that, that it, it takes others a, a great deal of effort and time themselves to come to that level. Yeah. So, so Daniel, I guess if looking at that, you're probably, it sounds like you're saying that the perspective that you can get from those people who aren't the primary carer it can be very valid and it can actually help you think about the way you're approaching things mm. to, yeah. to assess the decisions that you would have just made without having a real good think about it. Yes, and it's taken me a long time to get to that point, but basically what I try to do now is go in saying, yes, 
I am the one with the observations and I can tell you how things play out in the real world day to day, hour by hour. And I can imagine like any proposed changes or solutions, whatever, I can imagine how they might play out. And I'm probably the person best placed to do that. But also I, I try to have like, I guess, a humility to it. And just to say like, because I'm in this pressure cooker environment, I may not have the clearest view of the whole situation as it affects everybody. And when I'm interacting with other people, whether it's my wife or professionals, I just want, I, I go to them, I say, tell me what I can't see. Like, tell me what I don't know because I don't know everything, you know? Mm. And it, it's hard to do that. Like, cause you really, you are spending so much time that you feel like you, mm. you are entirely on top of it, but actually you know, you have to make the effort to say, no, there are other perspectives here and other kind of timelines and paces that have to be taken into account if the situation as a whole is really going to come together and not just you and the child. And and there's often a lot at stake, isn't there? These aren't yeah. decisions about which car to buy, you know, the, or even, if, you know. Um, this push and pull happens in every relationship and, you know, if if the relationship is fundamentally healthy, it's a good thing. We, we balance things, we get each other's perspective, we correct each other and so on in a way that is good because we're a team. Uh, if we're not functioning well as a team, then of course this exacerbates the, uh, the feelings of being uh, ignored or um, uh, you know, not respected or whatever. I, I know our kids, uh, Christopher, I was, I'm the same as you, Daniel. I, I spent most of my time uh, with Christopher as a child as his primary carer and I think the assumption in the question was probably correctly that generally that's not the case so you know fair enough but um, he and his sister eventually got to the point where they called us overdone and underdone so I was overdone and and their mum was underdone you know she would she would she's far more spontaneous you know far more willing to take chances and so on than me and I think that's partly because I could see what was at stake but it was also just a temperamental difference that's that's the way we would have been anyway probably and uh, it was good uh, I, you know I, I think we were able to counter each other but it was only because during the worst of times or the most difficult of times we were both trying to find a solution that we could both go with and therefore you work it out but if you're not at that at that point then yeah it can be really frustrating i'm sure mm. I, I, look I, I don't want to speak out of school here and look too deep into that question but um from from my experience i know that acceptance of everything that came with willow's diagnosis came with my acceptance of my mental health issues so I, i'm not trying to assume that there's any mental health issues going on the side of the the, the husband or the partner in, in that scenario however I did find once I got that under or un managed and, and under control that the acceptance of all the things that came with the diagnosis, I was able to open it up and see a lot more clearly and then also accept the right way or the, the best decisions for that. And it allowed Tara and I to talk more openly about those things and, and work through them together. So uh, look, if there is anything, uh, any mental health issues um, involved with the partner there, there, there could be some things on that side which could definitely help to yeah. um, help the the, 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 the the relationship or the the, part, the couples there sort of um, come to agree on some things. Fantastic yeah, observation, and, yeah. Yeah, and it's also I, I know, mental health issues, 
like whether or not they're there. It's, it, I mean, it just generally it can be hard for people to accept to accept, you know, some some news that they've received. And I wonder if uh, because because as as we know, being further down this journey, it's like so often it is you and your partner against the world, right? And if you and your partner are against each other, then I mean that that I don't know. To me, that just spells doom. Like you, you, you need to be kind of, if not marching in lockstep, at least you know treating each other in good faith and working together yeah. towards a solution. And I think it sounds like the the person writing is trying to get their partner on board with that. And one way, you know, if the partner is struggling with acceptance and saying, "Well, what does this mean for school? What does this mean for treatments or whatever?" Like out there in the world where there's this adversarial situation, maybe one way would be to just say let's just let's just try things here to adjust to make accommodations here between us at home in this space first and see how that goes you know with not the pressure to commit to something straight away and a more of a a, a gentle guided landing into seeing how accommodations and adjustments might play out in just day-to-day life like domestic life rather than a full structural change to you know i mean that's like i remember just when we were coming to it like what what does it mean that ivy is deaf what does it mean for communications like it's like it's hard to take just on its own like just hearing that and you just hearing you have to change x y and z was like a massive upheaval but the way we got there in a way that was, you know, towards like a good solution in the end was by really small, simple baby steps at home. Like, okay, we're going to sit down at the table. Um, let's, we'll sit in a circle so that we can all see each other's lips as we're speaking. We'll learn like simple signs for things and just use those in our dinner time conversation. And it's like, no, no pressure, no commitment. Let's just see how it goes. And if we notice like, an effect maybe it's something we should stick with and if we stick with it then maybe we should later on find people who can give us even more and that's kind of how you get into it instead of that like i don't know diving in all at once mm-hmm. if you can do that you're able to do that. so i guess i guess the bigger picture can can be very daunting at times um, yeah and and when you do when you look at that daunting bigger picture then your your mind races off too yeah. far down the future yeah. rather than just focusing on the little things you can do the here and now, which will compound to make that bigger picture a lot easier in the long run. But mm. it's about coming together and doing that. Yeah, yeah. it's so easy, isn't it, for your, your mind to race with that bigger picture and just get so far down the track. Yeah. But it just gets, uh, yeah, it just gets so overwhelming so quickly. But you're right. You mm. know, if you could just do the little things, uh, yeah, it could just accomplish so much, you know, right there and then. Wow. We, uh, oh man, you blokes! I tell you what, <laughs> I, uh, I I can just sit here and listen. You know, this is wonderful. Um, let's let's talk about Ben Dad's in a bit more of a specific way now, because I think we've given about twenty minutes to both of those questions, and I think uh, that's that's all we we can do at the moment. And I, I just, you know, I love hearing what you have to say, each one of you. What if what if, what if we talk about our dads and being dads? Okay, because it, it seems to me that one of the the most important things about forming us as men to become dads is to have is is the relationship we have with our parents, but uh, you know, in a particular way with our dads. So, 
let's just talk about that. How how was it with your dad when you were growing up, and how has that played into you being a dad? Be it, be it positive or negative, what do you reckon? Well, um, I'm, I'm happy to start it off, and um, you know, I had a. I think I, I know I mentioned it the last time as well that you know my so my background's Italian, so you know my generation of my both my mum and dad were just so old school proper, you know. But then, you know, I think about what my dad went through as a you know I think he was like fourteen or fifteen when he came to Australia on a boat, you know, by himself to come over and find a new life from Italy and, you know, and then had to find work before he could go make enough money to then send it back home to then bring the rest of the family over, which is just insane when I think about how young they were to do such, you know, crazy adventures, you know, it's just so, you know, so, you know, I just always admired him for the things that he did like that in my early childhood my dad was great you know he would take me to the footy and you know because we that were my best childhood memories of just you know my dad taking me to the footy and you know every Christmas with there'd be a, a Christmas party at his work and he was just a, a, a worked at a foundry you know it's just a hard labor and but every Christmas he would take me in and I just remember the 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 melting of metals and what he used to do was just really good but then you know, as I grew older and grew wiser, you know, then, you know, I would see Dad and he was just a hard-ass man as well, you know, with always complaining to Mum about the food and, you know, was never grateful and, and then, you know, and it was just, you know, it really got to me as I got older and became an adult and um, and more so especially as I became a parent and, you um, um, you know, he he does. He's not the world's greatest communicator, and and you know, and it got to a point where I started resenting my dad towards the end, and it was just like, you know, Dad, just have a conversation, just talk to me normal. I just want to, you know, ask me how I'm doing, and you know, one of the things that I always wanted, you know, from my dad was just for him to tell me how proud he was of me, or it was things like that. And um, you know, my dad passed away suddenly about three years ago, and. I always dreamed that, you know, the one thing I never got off my dad was I don't think I ever heard him ever say that I love you, you know, and he was too much mm-hmm. of, you know, he was yeah. just very stubborn, especially the Italian sort of mentality, you know, that that sort of emotional sort of thing, you know, was was very hard for, for to get out of my dad. And I think I now as a parent want to be the complete opposite to kind of what yeah. that sort yeah. of was and, you know, I tell my girls every day how much I love them and, and I want to spend as much time with them as possible. And, and it's, it's, it's um, you know, why I had a fantastic father. There was just so many things and I really regret that I didn't make it to his deathbed. You know, I, was, I wasn't there and he died so suddenly that I didn't make it and I didn't. I thought that I always had a dream that on his deathbed that he would hold my hand or I would look at him and we would share this, Thing of saying how much we loved each other and how proud he was of me and I never got it and I kind of you know still live in resentment of that but I know I know he did that's the thing um but there's a lot that I want to do differently now as a dad um compared to what I grew up with hmm. yeah that's um yeah that's that's a shame Dino 
Mm. Uh, yeah, you know, the, the only time my father has yeah. ever said to me, I'm proud of you, was when I built a deck. And, and I, it was a bloody good deck. I, I was going to say, it had to be a great deck. A fucking good deck, you know. Yeah. Uh, and I was proud of it. But I, I didn't want him to say he was proud of me for that. That's yeah. Not, yeah. You know, It's yeah. a bloody deck. Yeah. Who cares? And I built a couple since. So, yeah, that, yeah, the thing about saying I'm proud of you. And, and you just said I know he loved me. Well, I know Dad's proud of me. So, okay. At that point, I'm okay with it. But... Gee, it would have been nice to hear it occasionally. Yeah, I agree. I and tell my kids I'm proud of them all the time because I am. Mm. Absolutely. More mm. so than ever. <laughs> Did you? Do you mean, Gary, that that aside from like you know the deck being the thing that brought it out, that do you do you mean that you know being being told that he was proud was not necessarily the thing you really wanted to hear? That pride was lesser than love or something else. well no i mean i i don't i would have liked to hear him say man you've you've done a you you're making a good fist of this father thing you you really are a good dad i i tell you i look at you and i see what you do and i'm proud that's what i wanted to hear mm-hmm. and even like um you know dad like lexi's now 10 so it was a good seven years of me struggling with, you know, coping with a child with a disability and, and you could see the struggles and, um, you know, more so than ever, you know, to see what we, what myself and Claire go through on a day-to-day struggle, you know, just like to even say, well, you know, I, you know, I really feel for you what you guys are going through and it must be really hard, you know, is, you know, I really, you know, just to acknowledge what we've been, what we went through or what we're going through, you know, would just, would, it's just, would be, would have been, you know, something, you know, but it just wasn't kind of him, if, you know, mm-hmm. but that's him, you know. I used to have to keep explaining this to Claire, especially more my partner, you know, because, you know, Claire doesn't come from a tame background and doesn't understand, you know, that it's quite common, you know, for, the, this generation of, of, of sort of immigrate, you know, immigrants of this, that, that that's kind of how they are, a lot of them. And it's like, well, I, you know, I was too accepting, I suppose, accepting of him rather than to sort of just push it out of him. So, um, yeah, but it's, it's, uh, that's how it kind of was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um. Well, I guess if we're, if we're talking about my dad and the relationship that that we had, I've always had a a father who's been you know a really good mate. Um, uh, I've always known though that his I guess his level of maturity and mine probably got parity when I was about twelve. Um, and I actually <laughs> said that in my in my wedding speech just to stir him up a bit in front of you know a hundred odd people, which got a good laugh. But I think one of the things that I, I respect or appreciate most about our relationship was even though there is that fact, he's always been sort of the first person that would level me or ground me or pull me into line if I was acting you know like a dickhead or or if I was going through something serious, you know like like the birth of Willow and things that he knew the moments when to be the dad or be a dad. You know, he's still around, and, and I've always, I've always really appreciated that fact. Um, 
And, and, you know, listening to you guys now, I think I appreciate the fact more that, you know, he has told me a lot from my life that he loves me and that he's proud of me. And, and, and to use the example around Willow and being the parent, he, he's always saying how proud he is of the way Tara and I have, have, you know, just run with that and managed that. So so I think, you know, I'm very lucky to have a, a father who, who I can call a mate um, and, and sort of have a joke around with. And sometimes he annoys me because he's, he thinks his jokes are funny and, and he acts a bit <laughs> silly. But I know deep down that, you know, if I'm, if I'm, he's going to be the first person that's going to, well, nowadays not physically tote me up the ass, but basically pull me in the line like a dad needs to. Um, yeah. And, you know, and I'm, I'm really, I'm really grateful for that. It's mm, good. Yeah. Just listening to you guys talk about your dad, I realized I, I don't know. I don't know what I would have said about my dad like before Ivy came along. That's eight years ago now. But well, I mean, I guess for his, you know, for one of his birthdays, I think it was his fiftieth, the fifty-fifth. Maybe I, you know, described him kind of in very traditional masculine terms, like he was a hard-working guy and, and all this sort of stuff in, in the speech that I gave. And he's he's an immigrant too. Um, Dino, maybe a bit like your dad. He's from England okay. though. Um, came over on the boat, had his brother and sister with him. His parents were not really on the scene, so he was taking care of them. And they, you know, they had nothing. They lived in the tin shacks out in Western Sydney, and mm. you know, worked his way up. And I, you know, yeah, I think like back at that birthday, I did, you know, I really put an emphasis on, you know, the work he did for for his family and for us. And you know, he was he was a blue collar worker, and then a cop later on. But he he was a carpet cleaner for a long time, like stuff like that. And now I look at him and I think, like, I kind of regret saying that because back then I thought, oh, that was the person, like he was a stoic kind of, you know, hard worker. When I think I think now, like, seeing the way he is with Ivy, where he's such a clown and, like, he physically like a clown, like he's dancing, he's making stupid faces, he's making ridiculous jokes, he and he will try anything with her. Like, she's completely taken him out of his comfort zone. Um, and it's amazing to see how up for it he is. I kind of feel like, like that's the real person. Like that's the real dad that, you know, who really likes to be stupid and goofy and have fun and not wow. that, that it was kind of like, you know, there were economic necessities that kind of took him away from us for a long time. And, and that that was kind of a distortion of the real guy. And he's, he's, it's almost like he's now being, I, I think I can see the father that he wishes he could have been mm. more of when yeah. he's with Ivy. And I noticed too that like when he tells stories about being with me or my brother, he's telling stories again about really goofy things that were the, very much the minority of our experience mm. as kids. But that's like, that feels like that's when the real human being got to come out from under all the work, you mm. know? And yeah, and so, is that because uh, Ivy is his granddaughter or because Ivy has these additional needs, do you think, or maybe a bit of both? Probably like grand, both. Yeah, yeah grand, I think it's really both. And to bring out <laughs> the dad in those dads who couldn't be a dad, I think that seems to be common. I think that's right. And I think one thing that I really appreciate about my dad now that I've only come to appreciate in the last few years is that, as I said, he came from England, he came from Essex. Like he came from England to Australia with like a real – very strong class shame kind of background, like status, like very, very, I think very strong, like know your place kind of thing. Like you are not the person who's going to 
really make it anywhere. And, you know, when you come from that background, you get shut down really quick whenever you try anything unfamiliar or that's a bit out of your wheelhouse. And he did, like I know by, by my grandparents, his parents were very much like, stop, you know, just really, you're an idiot, don't try it. And when you have a kid like ours, you have to, like there's no there's no textbook that you can follow, is there? Like you just have to try so many different things that are so far out of your comfort zone for us. I know for us as, as parents, but also for grandparents. And to his credit, like whatever baggage there was that he brought with him from England, like he uh, like that that is not a barrier to him trying just anything you could ask of him, which is quite amazing really to think what he must have to like kind of what instincts probably from long ago he has to jump over to get mm. to that point and then go ahead and try it. It's really impressive. Yeah. Just on that, Daniel, do you have, like, is there any resentment that you feel not necessarily towards him, but just towards that situation that, you know, you don't remember having him being like that, but he obviously is now with, with your daughter. No, no resentment at all. I feel pity more than anything else that he didn't get a chance to be that way. Like, that that feels like the way, to me, watching him now, that feels like the way he wanted to be the whole time. Like, And no, I wish he could have been that person. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you know, it may be generational, but the real person was not allowed to come out when you were a dad at some point because you had to be the breadwinner and you had to. Yep. There were no options. And if you weren't tough with your mates, you know, you weren't going to make it. You're going to get slapped around. Mm. And and now that you're a grandfather and it's not up to you to <laughs> to do that anymore, yeah, maybe that's the liberating moment for a lot of blokes. Mm. Yeah. Wow. And, and Dino, we're aware of the special circumstances for you because your dad's passed on and, you know, um, three years ago, I think you said, yeah. Whereas for us, our dads are still with us, and that makes that makes a difference to the way you think about these things, I guess, doesn't it? Mm, yeah, absolutely, it does. Yeah, and um, yeah, I just remember because it was I was the one that was um, at his funeral. It was me that you know was the one who had who gave the eulogy, and um, you know it was um, it was it was quite it was it was you know I think there's a lot of things that I've never really spoken about. To, to my siblings about how much resentment I still had with my dad before he passed away and, you know, that uh, that we weren't, you know, that I had this resentment. So I never really sort of explained that when they sort of asked me to, to do the eulogy, you know, there was a part of me that, you know, was so honoured to be doing it, but there was a part of me also this, you know, sort of going, oh, man, there's so much untold stuff that I haven't said to anyone that is really eating me up inside that no one really knows about either, which was really a tricky situation that I just sort of had to put to the side and then just, you know, really just, you know, just talk about how, you know, his life and, you know, and all the good things, you know, say that he was still a wonder, he was an amazing, wonderful man, very funny and very charismatic and, you know, it was, was great, but just, you know, there was a lot of things in there that I just wish could have been better. But having said all of that, Dino, what you said was the way you have responded to that is to be the best dad you can be and to mm-hmm. to counter those things. And to, your kids don't have that experience at all, do they? And yeah. I, I'm the same. I became a dad that I never had and I'm proud of the, yeah. you know, my, I, I didn't do it perfectly, but 
I made sure my kids didn't have those same deficits. Yeah. Whereas some, I guess some guys might take that anger and they'll take it out on their kids and, you know, it gets passed on generation to generation. But on the other hand, you know, a new generation can turn things around. So mm, good on yeah. you, mate. Yeah, That's no, fantastic. And, and, and really we're only just going, you know, obviously your kids are a lot older and, you know, adults now we're obviously might, well, I'm only in the middle of, of that childhood. So, you know, yeah. these are really special moments that are really want to enjoy and try to make the most of when we can. So, yeah. Wow. I, I do love my dad and he has been a very good man and he has tried his best. I, I can say that without doubt. Mm. No question No question at all. And when I see the way his dad was to him, you know, it's, he, he did far better than, than mm. he got himself. Uh, look, um, a couple of things came up here and I, I, I'm just aware that um, – one of us has to go, and also we like to keep it to an hour so that people who are listening know what they're getting. Um, we, we don't expect to thrash out every issue fully. I've cut across the conversation. Did you want to say more about your dads before we just do I, I Heard Someone Say? Well, let's do it then. I Heard Someone Say. Okay. So so I heard, Dino, I heard you say that your dad came over when he was 15 and he was by himself. I'm just wondering why, what, what led to that, and was he by him, why he was by himself and so young when he came? Uh, so pretty much what I remember the story was that so he essentially, because he was the eldest of all the brothers, so he had three brothers and two sisters, and and they like you know they all wanted they were living in you know regional you know in a small community in, in Italy and and quite poor and things as well, so. The opportunity to go to Australia to find work, you know, was was a, a huge opportunity for them. So essentially, he was the guinea pig of the family to go go see if you can find some work, see if you can start saving up some money, and then bring the rest of us over. So it was pretty much um, was there to come over, and then you know to set up the rest of the family to come over. So it was just the what he had to do as the as the eldest brother. Um, back wow. then so yeah, it's pretty wow. crazy it's pretty amazing so you know as I said there was a lot of admiration I had for for dad so you know there was a lot of things that he did that was just mind-blowing and and a lot mm -hmm. of this I only found out later on in life as well you know so uh, yeah it's just crazy to think about it yep um, um, I heard Kirk uh, I heard Kirk say something like um, when we were talking about, you know, cleaning the garage floor or whatever it was and why you do that, Kirk, he said something like um, so much of what you have to deal with day to day is out of your control that when you've got like one thing that is in your control, you really want to control it. You said it way simpler and better than I just said it. Um, but it really struck me because that is something that I have felt so much and just not had the words for. And I think we were talking about it in that context from like, you know, a situation where it's maybe a problem or it's a, you know, it's a silly thing or, or whatever, something that you want someone to stop doing in that circumstance. But you know what, mate? I think also it's so important to have that. It is so important to have something that oh, is yeah. yours to control, a passion yeah. project, something, whatever it is. It may be the garage floor, but it's, yeah. it's a coping <laughs> thing. And I, I think, yeah, it kind of... You need both sides of it, don't you? Where it is, it can be a problem, but also it's the thing that keeps you afloat. And I was so grateful to hear those words. I really liked it. Yeah. Wow. Thanks, mate. <laughs> yeah, I think it was, uh, uh, Gary, when you talked about your deck and, um, you know, about 
you know, finally hearing, you know, I suppose when you finally got to hear, get, get to hear something that you've been wanting to hear, but it was not the appropriate, was not exactly how you yeah. wanted to hear it, you know, is just kind of it really resonated with me uh, about that sort of component and can co- completely understand that you finally hear what you want to hear, but it's not what you want to hear. <laughs> so, uh, that's got to be life, isn't it? Yeah, well, right. I'm going to I'm going to quickly take two because um, this one I'll just say we might come back to. I'll, somebody, I think it was Dino, said something. There are certain things that make you feel like a man, mm. right? And I think you were referring to one of these tasks that we sometimes do that seem to be useless. Feeling like a man. I'd love, love us to come back one time and have a conversation about what is it that that means? Because, I, I, you know, I really think – it's worth exploring. What is it that makes you feel like a man and why does it, you know, so that we could do that. Yeah. But the thing can that I just, did so want to refer just, to can was... Can I just quickly jump on that too? I know we're running yeah, out of time, but yep. I think it's really important around to that your partner can recognise yeah. how important it is sometimes to feel like a man, yeah. um, which is something I've experienced. I'd love to talk, and we can talk more about that in that next topic, but I, yeah, I think That's it's a such a, a valid Let's, thing. Yep. Excellent. Yeah, let's yeah, do it. Really good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so the thing that I heard that I did want to mention was, um, Daniel, you were talking about realistic expectations early on, you know, and about how, what is it that's that's expected of you? Is it expected of you by others or by yourself? Is it realistic? Is it ridiculous? Man, that's wise. Uh, you know, there's so much that, that that covers. So thanks for saying that. That's great. Thanks. Listen, man. guys, this has been brilliant again. Uh, you know, thank you for for getting into the into the uh, the four bean mix at at this time. And this is the Dad's Day episode. So all you dads out there, especially you beans, good on you guys. We are proud to know that you know we're on the same journey with you in some so many ways, even though it's all. Uh, individual for us we we have a lot in common and we wish you all the best on dad's day we hope that um you're able to feel some sense of you know assurance that you know even if you haven't always done your best or even if you have that there are going to be opportunities for more in the future and hopefully somebody around you today will show you some love if not you know have some love from us get a bloke's hug from us <laughs> slap on the back good on you guys and we will be back yeah. with another four bean mix soon please keep sending us your questions and your comments uh i don't know where we'd be without them and uh we want to uh thank you for listening to us uh, uh again uh, for the uh, the four bean mix thank you dino thank you kirk thank you daniel Great to be together. Thanks, Gary. See you, Legend. Thanks, Thanks, guys. See you. Thank you. See you. Bye.